This podcast is brought to you by David Carell of Universal Creative Concepts. At UCC, they specialize in partnering with churches and ministries like yours to provide quality products for your logo and branding. David likes to find the right products that represent and fit your desired need and budget. UCC can logo virtually any product that you might be looking for. Need apparel like t-shirts, jackets, polos, socks for staff, youth groups, conferences, or for many other branding needs? UCC is your one-stop shop. UCC can provide all logoed items that you use for visitors, from pins to drinkware, or tees for VBS. David desires to be your go-to guy for all items logoed. On a personal note, I've been using David at Universal Creative Concepts since 2009, and I hope you will give him the opportunity to serve your promo needs. Whatever you want logoed, David does it. Contact him today at 1-888-GO-TO-GUY or 888-GO-TO-GUY.NET. That's 1-888-GO-TO-GUY or 888-GO-TO-GUY.NET. Hey, you won't be disappointed. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. Before we get to our conversation, we want to make you aware of the next month's worth of episodes and this week's presenting sponsors. For the next few episodes, you will hear interviews with author of The Preaching in the Era of Trump, Wes Allen, this summer's General Assembly keynote speaker, Jerusha Neal, and Tish Warren Harrison, author of The Liturgy of the Ordinary. This conversation with Drew Hart is sponsored to you by Launch Mission Creative. Former Cooperative Baptist Fellowship graphic design specialist Travis Peterson is an award-winning designer and dedicates his work to helping churches, ministries, and missional organizations. Travis worked with CBF during their rebranding phase and helped CBF win multiple awards for the design CBF public relation material, advertising, the CBF guidebook, fellowship magazine, and much more. As a former youth minister and graphic design missionary and now owner of Launch Mission Creative, Travis shares Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Launch Mission Creative will help your church, ministry, and missional organization shine your light a little brighter through branding identity in the form of logo, business cards, and letterheads, printed material like weekly church bulletins, brochures, annual reports, and even signage, or even a new website or social media campaign. Best of all, he'll work within your budget. Contact Travis today at www.launchmissioncreative.com or search for Launch Mission Creative on Facebook. Launch Mission Creative. We serve people who serve people. Our guest for this week's podcast is Jerusha Neal. She is the Assistant Professor of Homiletics at Duke Divinity School. She earned a BA at the University of Chicago, an MDiv, and a PhD from Princeton Theological Seminary. She will be our keynote speaker at General Assembly in Dallas. Dr. Neal, thank you for joining the conversation. Oh, it's good to be here. Now, I know as we're talking today, we are one day removed from snow in North Carolina, which we we <laughs> to share. But uh, from my understanding, before Duke, you were in a much more tropical place. That's right. That's right. Uh, before last July, uh, when we relocated to Durham, um, my family and I were serving as mission partners through Global Ministries uh, in Fiji, in the South Pacific. We were teaching at the oldest pastoral training school in the country. 
um, and it is you know residential school, and it is holistic in in every sense of that word. So there's a drum at 5 a.m. for morning prayer. There's daily chapel. You have classes in the morning, and then um, because so many folks are going to remote locations where um, a lot of their livelihood will be dependent on the land. Um, folks grow their own food in the afternoon. So there's also farming as part of uh, the work there. Um, it was a fascinating place uh, to think about what theological education means. Mm. I'm sorry. Maybe it's just for the sure fact that it's so cold outside today. Uh, what was it like being in Fiji and doing theological education? Um, It was such a privilege, first of all. I, I mean, Davulebu Theological College, which is where we were, it's really every ordained Methodist pastor. Um, that's the majority uh, Christian denomination in Fiji at this point, goes through that particular uh, pastoral training college. And they are sent out to um, hundreds of different islands, some of them very remote. Um, and very few people get a chance to actually live on that ground, on that land. Um, pillars of the church are buried there. It's considered by uh, the church sacred place, sacred space. And to have an invitation to come and live in that community and be a part of it, uh, to, to really experience not just the tourist Fiji, which is, I think, what most people sort of have a brush with when they sort of fly through and, and go and visit a beach or, or whatever, but to really come into deep contact with the indigenous culture and life and questions and struggles of faithful Christian brothers and sisters. Um, it, it, it was transformative and humbling. And, and of course, at the end of three years, you're just beginning to realize all you don't know. So, I mean, one of the great challenges, I think, coming back to Durham after that whole experience is, um, you know, rather than having this wealth of, of knowledge to share, I think the most important thing for me to say is, is um, I, I have a, a better sense of all that we do not see <laughs> and all and all that we have to learn and 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 how much humility uh, we have to bring to relationships with our Christian family around the world. Um, so that's that's uh, just a piece of that puzzle. Well, I'll say this, one of the very brave things um, for the leadership of the church to do was to invite me to go teach preaching there because while it is um, theologically acceptable for women to become ordained in that context. Um, it's still rare. So of 70 students, there were, I think, four women who were being trained for, for ordained ministry. And, and that's a very brave thing to do in that context. So for the leadership of the, the church to ask me as a woman to come in and, and share um, my knowledge about preaching in that setting, um, that was very bold for them. And, and again, that was, that was an opportunity for me of, of real learning um, from the, the women that I met and, uh, and to watch a church really uh, going through the process actively of transformation, which of course we still are as well. I mean, this, this is not, uh, you come back to Durham and you realize these questions aren't all 
settled and done here. And in fact, at my first uh, term last fall, I, I taught a women preaching class and was aware that um, these challenges are still um, very much in the mix for many of our women going into pastoral ministry. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall um, when you received that phone call of, of that assignment in Fiji, where it's just like, really? I really get to spend a couple of years in Fiji? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, I'll go there. I have a, uh, one, a former student of mine that uh, is um, an oceanographer, and she's doing work in Fiji, and uh, she flew back recently uh, to be the uh, bridesmaid in a wedding here in Raleigh and just it was telling my wife and I all about it and was like, yeah, we, we would love to come visit anytime. Um, so mm-hmm. you obviously teach there for, uh, for a couple of years and then you find yourself at, at Duke Divinity School. Tell us about that experience. The first thing I'll say is Duke Divinity School is a great place to be a practical theologian. Um, I think more than um, other places that I know and have and have been, there is such a commitment among the biblical studies department, the seal theology department, to really make their work touch down in the lives of local communities and, and local churches. So, for example, um, you will have all kinds of interdisciplinary teaching opportunities here, opportunities to work with. Um, folks in the in the biblical studies department um, and 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 for someone who comes from with a practical theological lens having the, that kind of collegiality has made such a difference um, i i was drawn here initially because of the work of Chuck Campbell um, he was a reader for my dissertation when i was in princeton and um, his work on principalities and powers and and also his transformation in terms of his scholarship over the course of his career really pushing into the sense of um, god's ability to transform uh, social structures and and bring um, bring to life newness um, in into traditions that have gotten stultified and and stuck, um, that meant a great deal to me, and and because he knew of my work through the dissertation, you know, when when the opportunity came to apply, um, he he in, invited my application, and um, I, to be honest, I was really conflicted about it because. Um, there was a sense of of really asking God after working for really what was 20 years of my life, um, kind of preparing for the possibility of teaching overseas globally. Um, you know, God, where are you calling me now? What what is what is your next step? What is the what is the next season of my ministry supposed to look like? And there was a real time of discernment as a family because. Um, a, a significant portion of our hearts are still in Fiji. But there also seemed to be, and, and this is what I began to discern, some similar outlines, I think, of the core questions that I was seeing the church ask in Fiji and core questions uh, of the church here um, around this issue of 
you know, in times of rapid change, in times of disruption, how is, how is it that we discern what it is that's precious to hang on to? What is it that, that um, we have to fight for and keep as central to our identity? And what is it that we hold in an open palm, you know, able for God to transform? I mean, this deep question, I mean, Fiji, you know, you, you mentioned the sort of happy side of Fiji. I, I mean, this is, a, this is a country that has seen firsthand the ravages of, of climate change. Um, at least 60 different villages have had to relocate because of rising tides. Uh, the, you know, the indigenous culture there is is really fearing a kind of extinction because of globalization and uh, the, the sense that that who we are as as a people and our distinctive um, voice in the Christian church is is somehow in danger and and so these these deep questions about how is it that we both stand firm in who we have been and yet also allow God to change us and move us forward into a new reality and a new, I mean, these, these, I'm watching as an outsider, the spirit lead the community through this process of discernment. And as I look back to my own country and my own context, uh, I see churches asking such similar questions. The, the major mainline denominations, um, you know, they're, they're thinking through these deep questions of identity. What is it that matters most for us to hang on to? And how is it that we change and transform into who God is calling us to be? And, and I think because of that, and, and because I also see this work happening at Duke, um, it's also an institution going through a lot of change and figuring out who it's going to be. Um, I thought, you know, there, there's something about my being in multiple places um, that allows for a richness of conversation around these themes, a reminder that we're not the only ones who have faced this challenge, we're not the only ones who have gone through this struggle, a reminder that the same way that God works halfway around the world, God works here, and um, and to be a witness to faith in the midst of that transition. And so through the whole process of discernment, there was a sense that, that yes, um, that part of this call to work in global theological education was a bridging call and, and was not just a, a one directional kind of calling, but, but, but to work on this difficult problem of how can we really be in relationship together and, and not just a relationship in name only, but a transformative relationship on both sides. And, um, and so that, that is the challenge that I've sort of been living into coming back to Durham and coming back to Duke. Of all the expertise, why preaching? What, in terms of what I do, in terms of what my my specialty is, right? Oh my yeah. goodness! <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, so, uh, you know, I went to University of Chicago, which has its own, you know, quite prestigious religious studies program. And um, I remember at the time I was a young evangelical and I thought, you know, there you just aren't enough kind of strong Christian voices in secular religious studies programs. And I, I'm going to go off. That's going to be my call. It's sort of a missionary to the academy kind of a call. And that was the idea. <laughs> and um, my thought was I would go to seminary um, just to see what that was like to get the languages out of the way. And then I would transfer and do doctoral work in a secular religious studies program. And as part of my first year at Princeton, um, I preached for the first time, and it was like a match got lit. 
and a whole variety of gifts and streams in my past um, were united sort of in that 10-minute <laughs> sermon. And I realized that I had a lot to figure out because I, I had been raised in uh, a non-denominational intentional community. And um, so I didn't, the idea of preaching, uh, first of all, I hadn't seen it modeled very much um, because we, you know, I'd, we'd been in sort of very low church settings where you sort of share, someone brings a word, that kind of, that kind of setting. You know, we sit in a circle and we share God's word together. This has been my experience of church. And, uh, and yet nothing was as clear to me as the sense that this is, this is what I needed to spend my life doing. And, um, and so I had to work backwards. Now, luckily, I had been part of a progressive Baptist church in Chicago when I had been at University of Chicago under Pastor Shanta Primawardena. And, um, and so I knew something of Baptist principles, uh, despite all the time I've spent serving Methodist churches and my Methodist husband, who is very dear to me, um, I have remained um, uh, ordained in, in uh, the American Baptist Church. Uh, and 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 yet I had never imagined yoking my identity, my role, my life um, with a mainline organized expression of faith. And God did a lot of work on me in uh, in my seminary years to sift all of that and say, okay, Jerusha, why is that? <laughs> What's that about really? And, and, and don't you really love my people? <laughs> and it turns out I did. And, um, and so, you know, my, my whole calling going forward, um, Had, had to be about how does the work of my life and the work of my scholarship press the church into the calling that God has for God's people. Um, th this, this idea of coming back around to scholarship came around through, you know, my, my first year out of seminary, um, I received a, a fellowship to study preaching in a cross-cultural environment. And my husband and I spent a year as um, American Baptist mission volunteers in Northeast India. And, and what we kept hearing there again and again was, look, we've got a lot of preachers. We've, we've got strong churches on the ground. We've got good leaders. Um, we really need more seminary professors. Um, a lot of folks who, who come for training in the U.S., they don't always come back. And, and that's under, you know, understandable. But for that model to work, you have to have people having the call to also um, move in the other direction. And, uh, and so as I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, maybe there's a way these strands come together too. Maybe it, I'm called to be a preacher, but I'm also called to do academic work about what it would mean to teach preaching um, in this country and also overseas. And so that's really the trajectory of the next 20 years of my life. Cause I knew I needed to be a preacher for a while. I knew I needed to actually do some of that work on the ground. And, uh, and then, you know, you have to, you have to, do the business of going back to get the doctorate <laughs> to be useful uh, in terms of accreditation and everything for institutions overseas. You, you know, it's, it's a long process. Um, but I feel like this is one further step in, in that process of, of conversation. And, and 
um, I'm curious to see how God's going to continue to deepen my understanding of this call. Now, I did a little bit of digging. I hope that's okay. I do that on, on all of our podcast guests. And I see that you were an actress and a playwright. Yeah. Uh, how, do, how do you feel like that prepared you? Um, or maybe did it, did it prepare you to, to have a certain level of comfort of, of standing in front of a, a group of people and, and delivering a word? Okay, so... I mean, here, here's one thing just to know about me and my story. I, I have spent so much of my life and ministry on the edges of communities. I mean, you can hear a little bit from my, my story. If I, you know, if I told you kind of chronologically, you would maybe see it even stronger. But um, I, I am often on the edges or in between. I'm serving in the Methodist Church, but I'm a Baptist. Or I'm an American Baptist, but my husband is called to Southern California, which is a difficult place to be an American Baptist woman in ministry. So, I mean, like there's all, you know, I'm, I'm serving in Fiji, and now I'm serving here, having been in Fiji. You know, how is it, you know, I'm sort of on the edges. And this is another piece of that. Um, in, in, though I'd had some acting experience before I went to seminary, um, the project that I think was most significant in my life came when I was pastoring in Santee, California. And, uh, and it was during a time I was a young mother. Uh, it, it, was, it was during a, you know, kind of a difficult time for me in relationship to the congregation. And I was, I was just going through this very dry spell, trying to figure out how, how to have my own voice and my own sense of my own witness in the midst of this, this larger role, all of the roles that I was carrying at that point in time. And as I was journaling, God kept giving me these words, courage and authenticity, that these are, these are your touchstone words. You need to find courage and authenticity in your ministry. Okay, God, well, how do, how do I do that? I'm ready. And what came to me was um, this opportunity to do a project uh, that that drew on my acting skills. Um, there there was a piece that was commissioned for a, um, a an intervarsity uh, uh, graduate um, program for for women who were involved in um, academic work. Uh, called Space for God, and they wanted a dramatic series of monologues written uh, as part of their worship process. And in the midst of all of that, there was also this opportunity, and talk about being on edges of communities, uh, to um, begin working as a consultant and actress during a, a particular season of a gay and lesbian theater in San Diego, a uh, diversionary theater. So InterVarsity and the gay and lesbian theater. Um, and the reason was that they were doing a whole series of plays that season on issues of faith. And they wanted to have a Christian pastor to have the conversation with them. Uh, not so much to ask the question about, you know, can gay people be included in the church? They didn't, they really didn't want that conversation. What they wondered about was, you know, many of the folks that were involved in their community had come out of churches where they'd been really hurt. And, and how, how was it um, that they could find their way back to God? And there was a whole series of shows that season about this. So courage and authenticity, right? How, how can you find a way to be who I was as a, as a Christian pastor in both of those spaces and show the love of Jesus and 
be who I was and speak the small piece of truth God had given me to speak. And, um, you know, it took about all the guts I had, you know, to, on, the, on the one hand, you know, to invite my church to my performance at this theater and be in relationship with these dear men and women that I had come to know and care about and talk about faith with. Um, and at the same time, I mean, there was the revival being held by my church and to have the courage to invite my fellow cast members to go to the revival out in East County, San Diego. I mean, it was it was real. You know, it was this very real calling into genuine relationship with people. And um, and there was something in all of that where something broke free in me. And I don't know, and, and, and I know you were asking the question, not just about the process of acting, but the actual moment of acting. There's something freeing about that too. I, I, there's something about the permission, I think, to speak in a voice that's not yours, that sometimes gives you permission to find places of your voice that you've been hiding for a very long time. And, and, and that's the best way. I have to describe it. That's how it's worked for me is that there's something about stepping into someone else's shoes and really carrying that burden in your heart and, and finding a way to give that voice that allows for an expression and a depth of expression in, um, in one's own life story. Um, you, you find you find doors that you've walled off. You find rooms that you you'd closed and locked, and and you realize there's all this work in your own heart for God to do. I've, I've, I'm so grateful to the theater community. They they loved me so well through that whole process and time. Um, in fact, you know the book of monologues that I wrote, um, blessed monologues for Mary. That's that was the one of the projects that came out of that whole collaboration with InterVarsity and, and others. Um, you know, it, it, it came about because there was, there was encouragement from all of these different communities, from my church community that gave me time to do it, from, you know, my relationship with this campus ministry that saw my gifts and allowed me to sort of minister in ways that were, you know, that didn't meet the, you know, sort of the traditional form and and yes, this this theater community that uh, believed that I had um, a word worth sharing, and and so thanks be to God. Um, but but you can imagine how I mean in all of those spaces, there's work that God is doing about you know the work, the larger work of my life in relation to being in cross cultural communities and, and on the margins and. And listening for what God is doing in the places you don't expect God to be. And, and maybe that is one of the greatest insights that I would say comes out of that whole experience for right now and where we are in preaching now and where we are in our country right now. Um, how is it that we have eyes and ears and courage to see the the movement of God in the place we don't expect God to be. Um, I think we're so hungry for that right now. Yeah. 
We need to pause to tell you about one of our presenting sponsors, Campbell University Divinity School. Committed to Christ-centered, Bible-based, and ministry-focused theological education, and to commit to helping you answer your call with a variety of Master of Divinity and doctoral-level programs. Curious about what Campbell's mission looks like in action? You should meet Cindy Bolden, who earned both an MDiv and DMIN from Campbell Divinity. A self-described love activist, Cindy embraced the call to love her neighbors in Glenwood South and downtown Raleigh. Armed with chocolates and hugs and good books, Cindy fosters community among local shoppers, young professionals, empty nesters, and the homeless. She helped launch A Place at a Table, Raleigh's first pay-what-you-can cafe, and she helped create Glenwood Gathering, a monthly meeting that makes neighbors out of strangers. Campbell Divinity School helped Cindy explore her call, and she discovered what a community minister in Glenwood South was her parish. Now, that's Christ-centered, Bible-based, and ministry-focused. How might Campbell help you discover or shop in your call? To get a taste of the Campbell experience and a taste of local flavors of Greenville, North Carolina, you're invited to attend the next Fed Talk. That's Theological Education Talk at Oakmont Baptist Church on April 22nd. You'll enjoy engaging lectures from Professor Barry Jones, Lydia Hoyle, and Caleb Oladipo, along with delicious food from local favorites. Best of all, you'll experience the legendary Campbell Divinity School community for yourself. For more information about Fed Talks, or to subscribe to the upcoming issue of Campbell Divinity School magazine that features Cindy, the love activist, visit divinity.campbell.edu. The challenge of, of all ministry is is to contextualize um, what we do and how we do it and how we gather among others and, and, and preaching. And you wrote this recently. Um, preaching is so contextual as a challenge to teach preaching in a place where the way words have been meaning and what counts as a good sermon are so different. And that's just the start. This is in regards to your experience in Fiji. You wrote, in Fiji, the core scriptures that preachers gravitate towards, the important themes named, what brings comfort and challenge, how metaphors work, how stories are told. All of these things are so different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how, as, as we think about uh, contextualizing um, the words spoken from a pulpit or from a music stand or um, from, from nothing. How do we begin to, to think about this theologically? Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, the theology of preaching is one of my favorite topics. It really is. It's, I, 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 I teach performance. It's, it's sort of, that's, you know, that's, I've, I've done that, but I do that through a very theological lens um, for precisely this reason. You know, how is it that, anyone has any business teaching preaching at all <laughs> and how how is it that we begin in in a church as wide and diverse as god's ecclesial community to begin thinking about what this act looks like that is so different so different i mean here's a very basic example i i was doing some you know basic teaching about how to have eye contact when you're working with a manuscript in Fiji. And and one of the women sort of boldly raised her hand and said, well, you know, um, there's different rules about eye contact in Fiji. I mean, you, you know, you're not quite, <laughs> not quite allowed to sort of look people directly in the eye. It's considered rude. And, you know, I'd been there now all of a year and and nobody had quite said that. Now, she didn't mean, of course, in day-to-day -day conversation, but but when you're dealing with folks of um, different social status and in, in sort of certain kinds of formal settings, which preaching is. 
and and so here's here's what that does. What that does is it takes all of the things you think you know about preaching, all of the tips and bullet points, and you know all of your you know books on the shelf that that give you you know five ways to a compelling sermon, and and it just puts it in a blender, and and it destabilizes all of that, so that so that you have to face again. The fundamental ground of preaching, which is this dependency on a living God. Um, for me, that's what these cross-cultural conversations have met. That's what the time on the margins have met. That's what the time in between communities have met, is that at the end of the day, you realize that there is not one narrative. There is not one set of rules. There's not one rhetoric that... Uh, brings the heat <laughs> that in fact there's a god that does that <laughs> and um and and that one of the greatest challenges for preachers is how to live in embodied relationship through the power of the spirit with the risen christ i mean that's really what this is about and what would it mean to have rhetoric that comes from that place um, it's pushed me to a whole deeper level when I think about what preaching is, what good preaching is, um, how do you even begin to think about um, categories of preaching. I mean, you know, it just, it, it takes all of that down to some very basic questions about what I believe about God, what I believe about the Spirit, um, what I believe about this gift of a text that we've been given. and. And what is it that I also believe about God's ability to work in and through ordinary human vessels? And and you get down to that stuff, that has very pragmatic, um, ethical connotations for the kind of language we use, the ways we interpret um, the world and, and the scriptures, the ways in which um, we share our life together in community. And, and so th that, I think, is, is where that has all moved me. Now, there's some also really fun stories. I, I'll, I'll just share one fun one, because um, there are also points in the midst of all that destabilization where you find points of connection. And um, uh, one was, I, you know, I was trying to explain, um, you know, Eugene Lowry's um, Lowry Loop, uh, <laughs> for those who've taken basic, you know, your basic preaching 101 course, you may have heard this at one point, that, you know, you start, you start a sermon kind of in a narrative format where there's a problem and the problem gets worse. And then, it, you know, somewhere in the middle of the sermon, there's a you know, kind of explosion of grace. And then there's sort of a working out of that grace for the end of the sermon, I sort of dive down and then come back up. And I was trying to explain this and it was just, it was difficult communicating this in, in Fiji and and as I said, how would we, how would you describe it? And um, as we were talking together, uh, my, uh, one of the students suggested, she said, you know, it's a little like diving for sea cucumbers. You know, you, you dive into the water because you're hungry and you don't have what you need. And you have to go deep down. And when you're almost at the bottom of the ocean, you're running out of air and it's getting quite scary. And, and, and yet there it is, and you grab it, and you come back up, and you give it to your people, and you have something to give them, and, and, and you have food at the end of the day, which I think is just about one of the loveliest evocative ways to describe um, Lowry's Loop. I've never, I've never had the chance to share that with him, but um, that was a great loop. So, I, I mean, that was a great uh, metaphor to use. Um, so, 
I, I say all of that to to talk about the importance in contextual work of allowing yourself to constantly rethink what you think you know <laughs> at the same time that you're reaching out with open hands for relationship and connection. And, and I just think that's the human condition. I think that's what real relationship looks like. And it's the kind of um, relationships that are, are transformative by God's grace. For most of us, um, we gathered in churches on Sundays for a word from the pulpit. Now, occasionally, some of us attended a church that put pastors through hell by coming up with two ser sermons on a Sunday, including Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship. I actually had a uh, professor in undergrad who said the toilet cleaning duties of heaven are reserved for two types of people. Uh, one, whoever came up with Sunday evening worship, and the second is whoever came up with pulpit furniture. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, we, we think about that day and age of, of delivering um, kind of a one solitary uh, thought for the week, but we live, we live in a culture of now and more. And it seems, it seems it's not good enough for a pastor to create content for Sunday mornings, but they also need to have a podcast, a YouTube channel, a book deal, and respond to every national and global crisis on, on social media. So for you, what are, what are the challenges you see in this? What are the celebrations you see in this um, in this culture of now and more around preaching? Um, well, let me, um, let me share this and it's, it's not an answer, but I think it's a, it's a call. Um, you know, when many students will first come to preaching class, they won't have words for this yet, but they're generally afraid of two things. Um, the first is they're afraid of being exposed as a fraud meaning they're, you know, they're afraid that somehow um, someone will discover they aren't really called for this work, this, that this role asks more of them than, than they have to give. And they're going to be exposed up there. It's not really knowing the meaning of the text or not really being able to bring it home or save souls or whatever it is they think they're supposed to do. Exposed as a fraud. And the other fear that I get a lot from students is they're afraid that they'll be erased as a human. <laughs> In other words, um, they're afraid that somehow this role will require such accommodation to the community or to the tradition or to this, you know, law, you know, all of the preacher voices they have in their heads, right? That, that their own individuality, that their own um, human witness, that their own, their own voice will be lost. This is especially true for I think for preachers that don't have a lot of models or mentors within the dominant tradition that they're going to be preaching within. Now that they're just going to be erased. And, and part of my work, I think, as a preaching instructor is to tell folks, like, this is, this is not God's call. God's call is not for you to be exposed as a fraud. God's call is not for you to be erased as a human. Um, but God's call is for you to be exposed as a human. <laughs> um, that's absolutely true. There is an exposure that's going to happen, but it's it's an exposure of your own um, limits, um, your own beauty, as those become witnesses to a God that's bigger than you, as those become witnesses to a Jesus that is there present in the room. 
because finally, I, I think that's why our humanity matters in the pulpit. Um, I, I'm not a fan of some kind of natural theology that finds within, you know, some sort of generalized human experience, which always happens to be the experience of who's ever speaking, you know, rather than sort of the great breadth of human experience. Um, I, I don't, I don't sort of find that very convincing that somehow in that generalized human experience, we, you know, we, we find these kind of um, divine seeds of revelation. I, I really do believe that, that we need God for that revealed word. But what I do believe is that, is that when that word is present, it changes the world and it changes human beings in real, concrete, visible ways, embodied ways, so that what our bodies become are actually like testimonies to this risen Christ that's present and active and, and living. And, and that's scary. That's vulnerable work. And, but it, it doesn't work. I mean, none of that sort of testimony stuff happens if, if you're hiding, right? If you don't allow your humanity and its frailty to be present in that preaching moment, um, it, it sort of covers over the very site of um, God's active work. It sort of wallpapers it over. Um, I mean, another way of, you know, saying it is, is uh, um, God is strong in our weakness, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is core, I think, to preaching rhetoric, that there is something about um, allowing ourselves to be finite um, that also allows us to be testaments to glory. And and that's the work of God's spirit. So I don't have an answer for you about podcasts and schedules and, and all the rest. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I would say that underneath that, for those for whom it has become problematic, there's probably a, a deep anxiety to live into some false shadow of what should be rather than the embodied witness to Christ that one is being called to be. Now, some people might love the podcast and all of that business and more power to them. Somebody's, somebody's got to do it all. Um, but that, I think that's the question for pastors now. And when congregations see pastors live in that moment and model what that kind of dependency and honesty, courage and authenticity looks like, um, I think it begins to awaken their own desire to live on that edge with God, to know for themselves what it would mean to live fully human, fully alive, fully awake to God's presence in the world. Um, and what more can a preacher be called to do than that? One of my uh, preaching professors, Roy DeBrand, who uh, actually passed uh, last month, um, he often spoke about that uh, if he had the choice uh, when it came time for, for preaching the word, he would come up from out of the congregation, not from on the platform. And for him, it was a theological statement to say that I am one of you, I am among you. Um, and I think that's a challenging word in this day and age of 
of, of megachurches and um, the disconnect oftentimes of a, of a teaching um, pastor who um, doesn't necessarily know he or she doesn't know their people. And, and, and what you've said just resonates um, so deeply within my soul of uh, being present, of, of discerning, of connecting deeply, um, and bringing something that matters to, to the people that you have been charged with, with caring for. Hmm. This summer, you'll be our, our keynote speaker. Um, what, what can we expect? What do you hope to accomplish? Um, I'll tell you, it about brought tears to my eyes when I was told that um, I would have the privilege of preaching on the night that the CBF missionaries would be commissioned. Um, and, and I want to be a witness uh, at the CBF conference to the work that God is doing right here in the U.S. and around the world, on the edges, on the margins, in ways that um, are transforming communities and persons into these witnesses to life. Uh, we, we need that so deeply. We need it so deeply. Uh, I... I I know as part of the Leadership Institute, um, I'll be sharing some of the insights that I got and been thinking a lot about in terms of how preaching connects to place. Um, one of the big themes in, in Fiji is, is how is it that in, in a place where land is rapidly changing, as I said, that we think through um, the continuity of God's promise, even as, as God is changing us. And uh, I, I think some of those questions are, are things that I'll bring into conversation with preaching that I see happening here in Durham, I see here in the United States. Um, but beneath all of that, I think the deeper hope that I have is To be a witness to a God that is real and risen and reigning and to remind the church that our witness to that God, not our sort of talking about that God, but our actual relationship with that God makes all the difference in the world. Dr. Neal, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy, busy, busy schedule. Um, there's a lot going on at Duke, and we're grateful for not only your time with us today, but we look forward to um, the great wisdom and word you will bring to us this summer in Dallas. Thank you. It's a privilege to talk with you, Andy. Thanks for the opportunity. This podcast is presented to you by the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University. The School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University exists to prepare men and women for Christian ministry, namely the work of the Lord's Church. Our two degrees, the Master of Divinity and the Doctor of Ministry, are carefully designed to equip and encourage ministers for the calling that God has placed on their lives. The Master of Divinity offers six concentrations, and the Doctor of Ministry can be obtained in either Christian ministries or pastoral care and counseling. 
Should God have called you to any number of ministry vocations, or if you aren't quite sure which one yet, you will find a place here at Gardner-Webb where, as one of our former deans once said, your heart and your head can be friends. Join us for the 2018 Pastor School, May 28th through the 30th, in partnership with Pittman Center of Congregational Enrichment. This year's guest speaker topics will focus on leadership and perilous times. For more information on the Divinity School and upcoming events, visit gardner-webb.edu backslash divinity. Well, that's our episode. We'll see you next week. Visit cbf.net for more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, stories about our field personnel, chaplains, and church starters, as well as our advocacy work around the world. 